This is the Fatty Joe Show, coming to you from Casa de Carey, deep in the forests of Nutmegerville. This show is dedicated to exploring pathways to better health from a holistic perspective. In each episode, we will explore such topics as nutrition, mental and emotional health, fitness, and more. I'm Yogi, your host, and I became interested in studying health after conventional health dogma became damaging and led me to become massively overweight. Against modern convention, I went on a keto lifestyle and I lost over 300 pounds and gained a level of control on my personal health that I never had before. Now I'm on a journey to find out what is myth and what is truth in the ever convoluted world of what is considered healthy. Come join me on a journey of discovery as I look for a path to improve total health. If you'd like to support the show, head over to patreon.com slash the fatty joe show or patreon.com slash carrie brown. If you want to check out all of our social media links and recipes, head to carriebrown.com. Don't forget to leave a comment, like, and subscribe to the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Fatty Joe Show, coming to you from Casa de Carey in the Nutmegger Forest. Today, we have our very second re- returning guest today and it's an amazing guest I, I i had a fantastic conversation the first time she was on and today we have amy Berger, and amy is going to come on we're, we're going to make this show because march is women's health month and mental health month so we're going to keep this episode around those topics amy also has a new book out we want to touch on a little bit as well but let's go ahead and get into the uh into the episode and go back to listen to the first episode to hear Amy's superhero origin story in the beginning and everything that we're going through, but I'm going to have her touch on that real quick a bit before we get started, and then we're going to get into the question. Hey, Amy. Hey, how you doing? doing? I am doing all right. I have my coffee. And as as that, do I, with my little... There we go. I, um, I was gifted this little silicone top. It looks like a little tomato top. Um, some oh, fans oh. saw that I had a little tea towel on top of my mug to keep it hot, right? It keeps the steam from coming out. And so they brought me this at a conference it was like a little gift so that's very cool carrie's got a few of the little silicone covers too and hers have little rubber duckies on top Cute. So it's kind of cool. Yeah. She's got different sizes for different size things, but she's got a little cup size one. Hers are to keep all the cats out of her drink. Oh, yeah. So, there's <laughs> seven of them now. My coffee. Yeah. And they like to, you know, they like to figure out what you're drinking, you know, so they get up in there and they're like, you turn around and they're scat face first into whatever you're drinking. So uh, it's, it's, you know, especially a couple of them, Arm and P tend to like your drink much better than they like their drink on the floor. Right. <laughs> so, and uh, P's been making cameos lately because she seems to like whenever I'm doing the podcast to use my leg as a scratching post. So, <laughs> so that's she's been. Uh, we're we're trying to get ratings, so cat videos, you know. <laughs> so let's do a a brief reintroduction of Amy Berger, where you came from, and what what got you into the health world. And we again we covered that on the first episode, so we just kind of want to do a quick recap and uh, and uh, you know on the previous episode and 
today's episode. So, and then we're going to get into some cool stuff that we were talking about off air. Yeah, sure. So um, I am a, a nutritionist and I specialize in low carb and ketogenic kind of diets. And I, uh, I'm a writer too. So I just um, co-authored a book with Eric Westman, who I'm sure a lot of your you know audience is familiar with. It's called End Your Carb Confusion. But I also wrote a book about Alzheimer's disease, which they call type three diabetes. So if any, or diabetes of the brain, if anyone is wondering why a keto nutritionist would have anything to say about Alzheimer's disease. And um, let's see, I, I got into this like a lot of other people do. I, I was not always a nutritionist. I wasn't born, you know, knowing anything about keto. I was in and out of a lot of careers I didn't like, and I was overweight. I was heavier despite doing what I thought were all the right things. You know, lots of exercise, uh, good, what I thought was a healthy diet, and the weight would not budge no matter what I did. And uh, long story short, because I probably told the full version in the previous story, I found the Atkins diet. I found low carb, and I never looked back. It worked. It's delicious. I can maintain, you know, I, I lost the weight, and I get to maintain that weight loss eating delicious food. I'm at the, I've been doing this now for about 20 years. I'm, I'm at the point where I don't count a thing. I don't weigh and measure my food. I don't track it. I just get to eat delicious food and live my life. And um, now, like I said, I, I was, I was a career changer. So after having a lot of, you know, unfulfilling and unsatisfying jobs, I realized, oh, nu nutrition is a career. I could go back to school and learn, you know, get formal training in this and help other people learn about low carbon keto. So that is, what I do now, and I'm based in North Carolina, but I work with people all over the place by Zoom and Skype and all that. So yes, and you do that through Tuit Nutrition. Yes. Yeah, and I always meant to ask you: Is Tuit is like short for Intuition Nutrition, or is that was that for? That's that's what I wish it was. Like you know, intuitive eating, intuition. It's um on my website tuitnutrition.com. It's T-U-I-T Nutrition, and you actually have to put www. Nutrition right now. There's a weird little up with the website right now that if you don't put the ww it doesn't come up so um there's when i was little my mother had this little wooden coin about the size of a silver dollar or something and, and on one side in big black letters it said t-u-i-t it was a round to it and on the other side it said something like you know you're always saying oh you know someday i'll get around to it well i'll do that when i get around to it well here's your round to it what are you waiting for and literally the reason i that name came to me. It was probably like two in the morning one night. I was trying to find a domain for my website and everything I was trying to use was already taken, like everything. And I'm like, you know, when are you going to get serious about your diet? Oh, I'll, I'll get to it. I'll get to it. You know, when are you going to get real about your health? I'll get to it. Do it. Do it. Nutrition. <laughs> There you go. So that's, that's where that comes from. But the, that, the, the story of that and the picture of the thing is actually on my website if people really want to find out. All right. I was always curious about that. And I wanted to ask you the last episode and I forgot to do it. It would make more sense if it was intuition and stuff, but it's it's not. That's what I thought it was because I, I know that you're you're a big fan of intuitive eating and and, uh, and getting yourself on, on, a, on a, you know, learning how to read your body signals. If, if you can, once I, th I think once you're off the blood sugar roller coaster, it's a little easier to trust those signals, you know, because mm -hmm. like, the, the problem with intuitive eating is that my body wants Doritos. My body wants a whole cheesecake. Like, so um, yeah. once I think once once you are eating very differently and you're, the signals you're getting are different, then you can probably mm -hmm. trust your intuition a little more. 
And so we were going to get in, and, and you've um, had a very interesting topic, something that you've been uh, working with now. And it's it seems to be one of those topics that is, in a, uh, as we were saying off, off air, an undiscovered co- country in the medical world. They're really uh, struggling to get this right, and that's that's issues with thyroid health. When you're having issues with thyroid health, because thyroid is, is kind of like a master control switch for a lot of things in your body, and it's also something, as you said, that women seem to deal with more than men do. What are some of the things that we should look out for when it comes to we identifying that we may have a problem with our thyroid function? Yeah, um, this is, in my opinion, one of the great tragedies, one of the great medical tragedies of our time. And I'm using the word medical. I'm not a doctor, but just from what I see, the medical approach to this is and the treatment approach. The thyroid, like you said, thyroid hormones are the 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 master, they call them the master regulators of metabolic rate. And that has a it influences a lot more than just your how many calories you burn. I mean that the metabolic rate is how much energy, how many how much calories your body burns to just to be alive, right? We, we talk about people that have a fast metabolism. Those are the people that can eat anything they want and they, they never gain weight. They're just effortlessly lean all the time. And then there's those of us that look at a cupcake and gain weight. You know, that's, oh, I have a slow metabolism, whatever. That's a real thing. Slow and fast metabolisms are a real thing. And it has a lot to do with that thyroid hormone. And um, I the reason I, I became so passionate about this is because I see it all the time in my clients, all the time. And I can't treat them. I'm not a doctor. I can't give them medication. All I can do is educate them and give them information. They then still have to deal with a, with a system or a doctor that may not really cooperate or may not listen to what they're what the patient is telling them. So, um, and and the the signs and symptoms are very diverse. And and some people will say they're non-specific, meaning, well, if you have that symptom, it could be anything. And that's true. But if you have eight or 10 of the symptoms, then it starts to point like, oh, okay. So I'll talk about the symptoms in a second. But so many people, women especially, are living with a lot of these things. And they don't know that it's because something is off. They just think, oh, this is how I am, or this is, it's normal for me. Is it normal for you to feel terrible? Is it normal for you to feel, you know, half, half alive? Like you have, you have an existence, but you don't have a life. You are living, but you're not thriving, right? You're surviving from day to day. Like that's, that's what it feels like. And so that the major signs and symptoms, if you're, and to be clear, we're talking about hypothyroidism, your low thyroid, because the hyper overactive exists, but it's much, much less common. Um, and, and if you're listening to a keto or, you know, sort of low carb oriented podcast, you probably don't have hyperthyroidism because if you have hyperthyroidism, you're losing weight without even trying. So the low thyroid is going to be weight gain or inability to lose weight. And it would be weight gain with no change to your diet or exercise, meaning like you, you're, you're not eating more than you were before. You're not exercising less. You haven't changed anything. And yet you're just gaining weight, on, you know, inexplicably. Um, hair loss, 
sometimes very, very alarming levels of hair loss, uh, depression. Um, and some people, I, the, the more I learn about this, the more I've, I've learned I have to use different words because some people think, well, I'm not depressed. It's not always what we think of as depression. It could be a loss of motivation, a lack of ambition, of drive. Constipation is a big one, very bad constipation. Low heart rate, low blood pressure, be feeling cold all the time, um, even when other people around you aren't cold. For some people, you lose the outer portion of your eyebrow. Uh, that's not super common, but that can happen. Swelling of the fingers, swelling of the lower legs, I'm trying to think of brain fog for some people, fatigue. So, you know, again, like fatigue, oh, that's such a, that, that could be anything. Yeah, but if you have fatigue and constipation and hair loss and you're cold all the time and you have low blood pressure, Hmm. That kind of points to the thyroid. I could go on and on forever. Those are, those are the main symptoms. And, and I guess just to, if anyone out there is listening and you are living with these things and your thyroid was tested and your doctor said it's normal, see you next time. It is not normal. It is not normal for you to be cold and depressed and constipated and for you to be going bald and for you to be gaining weight for no you know explainable reason. It's not normal. Um, the lab ranges are very, very problematic. So I'll, I'll leave it there and we'll see what, what else <laughs> you want to ask because I, I mean, I could talk about it. Yeah, it, it, I, I've, I've heard that a number of times when people are talking about low thyroid, that the fact that oftentimes they're diagnosed with a healthy thyroid, when they raise their thyroid levels up by taking a thyroid supplement, they're feeling much more improved. They, the, the depression alleviates and things. So it seems like, uh, like many other things, that the recommended levels may not necessarily be the levels that you need in your body. Bingo. And this, um, I cannot emphasize this enough. There's a lot of debate and controversy about how to treat thyroid issues and what to do about it. And you just have to find a doctor that's willing to assist you and willing to do what needs to be done to get you to feel well. And it's, it's kind of like, you know, the, the normal quote unquote reference ranges, who cares what some lab determines is normal? What you care about is how you feel. It's almost like, th think about fasting insulin as an example. The, the sort of re normal reference range for fasting insulin at many labs, they'll tell you that anything under 20 or 20, un under 25 is normal. And that, but that's the conventional medical world's definition of normal. Those of us in the low carbon keto community like to see it at least under 10. We prefer even under five. And I mean, if anyone watching or listening is higher than that, it's okay. There's some, some reasons why it might be higher now and then, and it's not automatically a reason to worry. But in general, we want that to be lower. If your fasting insulin was 22, I'd say that's a problem, but your lab says it's normal. So just like thyroid, even, even if you are normal, even if you fall within the normal range, normal does not mean optimal. Normal does not mean optimal for you and your own individual constitution. So for example, I'll give you a perfect example. The reason I'm so fired up about this is because I have thyroid issues. And so like I've had to learn this for myself. The lab range for free T3, which is one of the thyroid hormones that they measure, is like 2.3 to 4 point something. I don't remember the top of there. 2.3 to something. I just got tested recently and it was 2.3. So guess what? I'm normal, but that is literally the bottom, the basement of that range. And I have felt like 
garbage for a year, garbage. And um, so what if, okay, 2.3 is within the range, but what if in order to feel my best, I need to be at like the midpoint of the range or higher. I need to be a three or I need to be a 3.5. And so um, you cannot go by the normal range. You, you have to go by how you feel. And this is what they used to do. If you talk to older doctors, before some of this technology was available, before you could measure T3 and T4 and all these other things, they had to go by your symptoms because they couldn't go, they couldn't measure anything else. And I, I wish I, we shouldn't ignore the lab ranges, but what those lab ranges should be used for is to corroborate what the patient is describing. Oh, Mrs. Smith, you're cold and you're constipated and you're depressed and your, your hair is falling out and you can't lose weight even though you're working out really hard and you're doing a low-carb diet. Hmm, let's test the thyroid. Then you can look and even if it's normal, if it's on the low end of normal, you might need to be hot. It, because this, ladies, you have to fight for yourselves because your doctor will say you're normal. Okay, I'm normal, but then why do I feel like hell? Why? Why do I feel, sorry, I'm just, I, I just came off of a year. I, I lost a year of my life to feeling terrible. It kills me. It kills me that this is going on. Um, <sighs> it especially seems to be challenging in the medical world when it comes to dealing with women because of the lack of research in general with women's health and, and the normalization of things that shouldn't be normal in, in women's health, like extreme issues with, with uh, the cycles of the month, PMS and things like that. These are these like Michael Rutherford was saying on the podcast, if you were having extreme PMS, that's that would be such a major design flaw in the species, you know, that it, it would prevent procreation and all kinds of things. But it, it seems like with the thyroid, that's another one where it's really difficult to get adequate help because in the medical world, there is a lack of knowledge and a lack of desire to actually, uh, whereas in most of the medical world, they love to throw pills at you. In this one, they, they hold back quite a bit because they just really don't know. They, they are very conservative. And, and we, were, we were talking offline before we started recording. I respect when a doctor wants to be conservative, right? It's nice when a doctor doesn't want to throw medication at you. You know, problems can arise if, if you do get too high a dose or too much medication <clears throat> of anything. So you do want to be careful, but you also want to help people feel better. I get clients all the time who are actually already on thyroid medication. So they know they have a thyroid issue. The doctor knows they have a thyroid issue. But, and again, this is critical. So people out there listening, please, like this is a huge point. Many people are not on the correct type or the correct dose of medicine. So if you already know you have a thyroid problem and you're on medication, if you are still having all the same signs and symptoms, then guess what? That medication isn't working for you. So you need to explore either a higher dose or a different type. And when I say different type, um, the most common medication given is, the, the brand name is called Synthroid, but it's a, it's a the T4 medication, which the T4 is just one form of thyroid hormone. 
the more powerful, much more potent form is T3. And your body has to convert T4 into T3. For whatever reason, some people's bodies just don't make that conversion that well. And so these people, even when they take that T4 medicine, they might feel a little bit better than they did without it, but they still kind of have all those same issues. They need a little bit of T3. Sometimes they need a lot of T3 because the T3 is really what is having the, the effect that we attribute to thyroid hormone. That is what is going to make you have more energy and not be cold all the time. And it's going to help your bowel movements and all that. So even if you're, you know, quote unquote, on thyroid medicine, if you still have all the same signs and symptoms, then is that medication actually doing what it's supposed to do? And that's many doctors are very hesitant to give the T3. So that can be, it's a struggle sometimes to get the T3 medicine. And it's not true. Some people are very concerned that once they start thyroid medicine, they have to take it forever. Some people do. Some people do, especially if um, there's some people, if you've had thyroid cancer or for other reasons, if you've had the thyroid gland irradiated, you do need thyroid medicine. You, you need thyroid hormone replacement for the rest of your life because your gland is either gone, they took it out, or it's not functioning because they irradiated it. Other, other thyroid issues, sometimes you are actually able to stop the medicine. And um, I'll just say with, with regard to keto, that tends to be people with Hashimoto's, which is the autoimmune thyroid condition. We know the keto and especially, I mean, carnivore diets, they, they seem to be really powerful for helping autoimmune issues. So um, I know some people that have been able to stop thyroid medicine with Hashimoto's, but not all thyroid problems are autoimmune. So it just depends. It just some some people. So just to repeat, some people will have to take medicine forever. Some won't. But this, speaking for myself personally, not for anybody else, this medicine has saved my life. And I would rather not have to take it. I I don't want to have to take it. I hope to identify at some point what is happening and what because I I don't want to need the medicine. I want to know what's going on and fix that, you know, and then maybe be able to titrate off at some point. But in the meantime, in the meantime, this medicine makes, I, I'm a different person. And if, if I need to take this medicine to feel like I have come back to life, then thank goodness, you know, we're, we're so anti-medicine in the keto world, but let's not dismiss it where it can be really helpful for us. I'm kind of wondering how much of our current high rates of thyroid conditions are, are related to the dietary changes that we made starting in like the 1940s and the 1950s. With nutrition, we know that in order for your thyroid to work properly, one, you need cholesterol. Two, you need iodine. You need vitamin D3, which you need cholesterol to convert the D3 into the things that you need to, to function the thyroid. And a lot of these nutrient factors are things that we have shunned in, in so many ways with our fear of the sun, with our fear of cholesterol, with our fear of fat. And especially in the world of women and, and the way you look, the, the low fat diet was such a huge thing. And I was, I'm kind of wondering, could that be related with the increased amount of thyroid issues in women with trying to look skinny and trying to cut out the fat and trying to cut out everything so that now you don't have the cholesterol intake, you don't have the fat intake, you're not converting the hormones properly, you're not. And then iodine is one of those minerals that we're, we're not getting enough of because the lack of seafood consumption, the lack of it in the soil, and the iodized salt, the iodine 
decays in the salt rather rapidly when you open it, and so it's kind of worth. It. Yeah, so um, it's it's hard to it's hard to know why this is happening. I mean, it's it is odd how common it is. And, and why it affects women so much more than men, that I don't know. That's a mystery to me. But with in terms of just the rate overall of, of it being so common now, I think some of it might be nutritional in nature. We do need iodine is is literally part of the thyroid hormone molecule. You need iodine to make that structure. You also need um, the mineral selenium helps um, the enzyme that converts the T4 into that T3 need selenium. You need iron. And look at all the women who just shun red meat, who don't really eat a lot of iron-rich foods. Vitamin A, which you know also is primarily found in animal foods, in fatty animal foods. And we can get the vitamin A precursors in plant foods, the carotenoids, like things in, you know, the orange and yellow and red vegetables, carrots and sweet potatoes and cantaloupe and all that. They, I mean, even green, green leafy have carotenoids that are precursors to vitamin A, but not everybody's body converts it so well. And there, I think in some people, it's going to be the nutrient issues. And, and in some people, supplementing iodine is all they need or some, you know, having that nutritional support is all they need. I think probably the larger issue is other hormonal imbalances due to all different kinds of things, general life stress. Um, for some women, it's chronic, chronic dieting, chronic undereating combined with chronic overexercise. Your body, now this, this was never my problem. I never had chronic undereating. Um, you know, just people who were like, well, I'm having trouble eating more of this. I'm having trouble. I'm like, I've never had trouble eating enough of anything personally, but, um, you know, when, when you are working out and working out and working out like crazy and you're trying to lose weight. So you're like barely eating, you're eating just enough to kind of get through the day. Your body's not going to let you do that for very long. Your body, this, this is, you know, when people think about starvation mode or my, my metabolism is going to slow down, that is a real thing. And that's what makes it happen when you're, you're pushing and pushing and pushing but you're not giving your body enough nutritional replenishment, you, your body is going to slow down to, for, to, to keep you alive in order so that you do not burn out and fall apart. Your, metabo your metabolic rate is going to slow down. And that happens with, um, there's another hormone called reverse T3. And when you're in that state of your body is go, 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 your body, instead of converting some of that T4, well, it'll, it'll always make a little bit of T3. It'll, it'll convert some of that T4 into reverse T3. And this reverse T3 looks like T3 and it fits kind of like in the T3 receptor, but it's not T3. It's like an imposter. So it, it fits in the receptor, but it doesn't do the job of T3. So it's basically blocking the real T3 from coming in. And so you don't have the effect and um, that you end up having all the signs and symptoms of low thyroid. And it it's despite your best efforts, you are working out really hard, you're trying to eat well, and yet you're gaining weight. You're gaining weight because of this. But I mean, that's that's a protective mechanism. As much as we hate it and as much as we it, it makes us feel awful, it's that's your body trying to prevent you from burning out and just falling apart. Um, and I see that 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 actually literally is responsible. Remember the biggest loser phenomenon? Mm -hmm. That is exactly what happened to those people, how almost everyone on that show afterward regained the weight and some of them regained even more 
because look how hard they worked all the time and how little they were eating in comparison to what they were doing. And yeah. so now all of their metabolic rates are in the basement. That, and that's not a very recognized thing. But anyway, that's, and I think, I think there are other hormonal issues that, that come into play. So that, that was yeah. a really long answer because we started off talking about the nutrients. I do, I do think the nutrients are important, but you know, if, if a woman is out there and she's already supplementing with like thyroid, you know, nutrients and she doesn't feel any better, it's because right. sometimes that's not the issue. What I was kind of thinking about is we've, you know, this, this low fat, low cholesterol diet has, has really kicked into play uh, since like the 19, the 1940s on up really seemed to be a switch in the, in, in how women were expected to look in culture and how they were supposed to get there. And so I'm wondering how much of the damage we're seeing to the thyroid today is almost like epigenetic because of, of now a couple of generations of lacking these, these nutrition uh, needs for the thyroid function that it's now created a, a permanent damage into the current generation of several, uh, several of the women in our population, especially because women were under a higher amount of pressure than the men were to look a certain way and it caused we're seeing how how that pressure not only created psychological problems but it is created nutrient deficits and things like that that it have have caused birth defects have caused in the next generation not hormones and things not working properly so uh i wasn't trying to say like you know the medication wasn't necessary that you can fix it all with nutrition i was just kind of wondering how much of that lack of nutrition from the past on to the next generations have created these problems where we need the medication now because there's permanent damage in that thyroid now that's entirely possible i don't know but i still what i need to learn more about myself is why if, if that's the case why why does it still affect women so much more than men because men you know boys male fetuses were all born into the same epigenetic environment um, so there, there might be, I mean, there, there could be a very stark reason why women are more susceptible and I just don't know what it is yet, but yeah, it wouldn't surprise me. I mean, definitely we are not, um, we do not eat like we used to, and we don't live like we used to, you know, it's yeah. to, to the extent that, that other things are interfering, the, you know, the lack of sleep and the, you know, natural daylight and sunlight and all that. I, I think one of the, the differences is the experience the expected diet between men and women coming up because women were expected to be extremely restrictive to get that twiggy figure whereas very macho for men to eat red meat and very you know that was a man's food get my steak and my things like that so that might have protected a lot of men from having these issues of that machismo type of of culture to eat certain things i mean we cause damage to ourselves from some of that machismo culture but with the thyroid that may have been a protective uh, thing. Yeah, I that I would definitely agree with. And I feel like that thyroid would be only one tiny aspect of what goes on from that. I've I've done a couple of videos. I, I have a YouTube channel, so it's um it's it's two at nutrition. That's that's the name of it. And I just did two videos on on protein, on higher protein intake, and one was specifically aimed at women because I see women skimping like crazy on protein. And you know, you can get protein, like sure, if you want to eat more cheese 
chicken, that's fine. If you want to eat more turkey, that's fine. But you can also eat more beef and more lamb and more bison, you know, eat red meat that is loaded with iron and zinc and B12 and all of these and, and the selenium, like these, these nutrients that you need not only for the thyroid, but for everything. You know, I, I think there's kind of like an epidemic of sort of subclinical anemia out there where maybe your iron level is normal or just like a little bit on the low side. And if you were a little bit higher, you know, iron is so, um, it's essential for, for those energy levels and everything. And I, I just see what I would call a lot of malaise, like just general meh. They just don't, they're not sick. Like, like they're not dealing with any overt illness, any overt debilitating condition, they just don't feel so great. They don't have that sparkle. They've lost that vitality, that zest. They just kind of muddle through the day, you know, and um, when, when they, and I, I say they, I'm talking about women, when, when they start eating a lot more protein, I find that they, they do have more energy. They're less hungry because all of a sudden they're eating food. Um, and I, I also find that sugar cravings lessen. I won't say they disappear, but I think a lot of women who are headed for, you know, the ice cream at midnight, it's, you know, if, if you had eaten actual human appropriate size portions of food throughout the day, you wouldn't be starving come midnight. It's just, we've been conditioned culturally to eat these little portions. Oh, I'll just have a salad with dressing on the side and my three ounce, my deck of cards size of grilled chicken. I, in, in the video that I did encouraging women to eat more protein, the, one of the first things I said is, yeah, I, I don't know if, if you know this, but like women's magazines over the last 20 years or 30 years have made us think that an appropriate portion for women of protein is about the size of a deck of cards or the palm of your hand. So like three ounces, maybe four ounces at the most. And what I said in my video is forget you ever heard that. That is a garbage piece of advice. It has done an incredible disservice to women. Now, if that's all you're hungry for, if you just want a little piece of fish, have it. If you're hungry and you want to chow down on a 12-ounce porterhouse steak, well, you better sit down and chow down on that steak. And you have my blessing to do so. You know, we've been so culturally conditioned away from fatty red meat. And it's really, it really has done a disservice. That's all I can say about it. Yeah, and it's, we've, I mean, I was taught that in high school to have the little card-sized portion of meat. And we were taught that, and I actually in high school was brainwashed into believing that, you know, I needed to be vegetarian. I needed to be, I needed to cut out the animal products because I was getting big and, and I was getting big because I was eating pizza. Let's be real. You know, and I was I was killing an entire giant New York sized pizza and I was destroying buffets and stuff because I was eating tons of carbohydrate. But I was told that I was getting fat because I was eating the meat, because I was eating mm. the, you know, and so I had I had actually gone vegan for a while. That didn't work out so well. But we were being taught these things, and especially to 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 women and young girls. And there wasn't as much pressure on me to look a certain way as there was my peers who were female. And it seemed like 
you know, I, I literally, I saw girls in my high school that would break down hysterically crying if they gained a pound. Mm -hmm. And it, that was the pressure that they were under. And it seems to me that a lot of that, that pressure has caused a myriad of, of negative effects, everything from psychological to physical. You could have not just a podcast episode devoted to that. You could have an entire pod, like an entire show where the theme of the, of the show, every episode is body image and the toxicity of what they call diet culture and it's it is toxic it really is um so in fact i i question more and more what I want my role to be in the keto world like do i ever even want to talk about weight loss but that's that's a whole other topic um yeah it's the pressure but i i will say it's starting to bleed over into men and boys too now the the pressure to be ripped and jacked and um it's it's almost like the opposite women can never be tiny enough men can never be big enough you know and the it's it's still a lot lot worse i think for females but i think it's it's interesting we we do have a lot of pressure but talking about the the mental health aspect and and the nutrients you know something that we appreciate in 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 the low carb world i, I think in, in in the nutrition world in general that having the appropriate nutrients giving giving your body and your brain what it needs to to do things properly can help you deal with the emotions so like a lot of the the anxiety the fear you know the the worry we can have more appropriate emotional responses to things when we have the iron and the b12 and the vitamin a and the like you know brain function cognitive function neurotransmitters don't exist in a vacuum they come from amino acids they come from these vitamins and minerals that we need to have things happen properly and i've i've started to wonder well not started i mean i kind of suspect that you know we live in a very toxic culture that there's a lot of anger, there's a lot of, it, it's it's not an easy, how do I say this? I want to say it's not an easy time to be alive. It's never been easy to be alive, right? right. Life is always hard. But um, I think social media has made that a lot worse where we have, you know, literally at our fingertips, instant comparison to what everybody else looks like and how much money everyone else is making and, and uh, you know, everything else, other people are living their best life. And I hate that phrase. Um, it's easy to really, uh, to, to not, be able to react to that properly, but we so much anger in the world now and so much like fragility, like you just see something or hear something and you break down and I'm not dismissing, like everyone has a right to their emotions, but why do we not have a thicker skin? Why, why is there such fragility? Is it because we are B12 deficient or anemic or that we don't have the proper nutrients we need to maintain emotional balance and a, you know, a sort of more, a, a mental and emotional response that's more appropriate to the situation rather than flying off at the handle or, and I've always wondered how much of that is hypoglycemia too. Road rage, I have always thought that road rage is just hypoglycemia, right? Five o'clock, six o'clock at night, you're on the on the way home from work. You probably had lunch five hours ago. You're starving. Your blood sugar's tanking. Of course, you're going to feel rage behind the wheel. I was recently reading a couple of different studies that were performed, and they were talking about um, impulse control in a prison. And one study was a prison, and another study they looked at a a uh, school that was a, uh, a charter school. And in both situations, they removed all the simple processed food carbohydrates. And so what's now left is you have whole food carbohydrates of fruit and things like that, but also meats. And they were serving, uh, one place was serving uh, 
like more ground beef and another i think that was the prison they were serving ground beef and um the school was serving things like seafood and things like that but they had removed bread pastas things like that and the level of self-control that was brought up violent in both because the, the school was dealing with very violent youth, you know, generational gangbangers, things like that. That's what it was. And in the prison, the same thing. They had very violent people and they noticed a drop in violent outbursts in both facilities. And these are two separate reports when they cut these things out that caused the insulin up and downs of the hypoglycemia thing. Yeah. And I, it's, it's like really tragic because you, you, you almost can't blame those kids. You can't blame those kids. If they, if they're acting up, they're literally not in control of themselves. If they are lacking in something that is required to help them have proper behavior, you know, they can't, they can't help themselves. And I'm kind of going back to when, uh, I, I, I don't know if it was just when we were talking before we started recording or if I mentioned that I had just recently, last week, increased my thyroid medication dose. And I feel like a new person. As animated as I am right now, this was not me a week ago. And I couldn't, before, it was like very, I could barely get my work done just to, I'm, I'm a freelancer. So if I don't work, I don't get paid. I could barely kind of muster the will to just sit at the computer and do something. And, but I couldn't help it. You know, I couldn't, I didn't want to get up and go out and do things and just, it's not a matter of, oh, just cheer up. Oh, just, you know, look on the bright side. Let's go have some fun. Like it's, I'm just, you are incapable of doing it. And, and it's not, you know, not that we can like totally excuse the behavior, but um, so, and that's, you know, something you, you, you work with some of these, these people in, in the mental health world. I think it's critical. Like I think anyone that, that is evaluated for any mental health issue, be it depression or anxiety or bipolar or ADD or any of these things should have a very comprehensive workup in terms of insulin resistance, B12 deficiency, thyroid, um, all, you know, all of these different things, because it just, it plays such a big role. And, and what if helping some of these people, not, you know, some, some people will still need medication, but what if improving a lot of this is a matter of a B12 supplement or eating steak three times a week and getting more iron and vitamin A or supplementing with fish oil or something, omega-3, you know, what if these lower level inexpensive interventions are enough to either close, you know, close that gap entirely or help somewhat? I don't know. I don't know how often those things are even tested for before medication is just given. Yeah. It, you know, honestly, it seems like for most situations, we tend to jump right into the most restrictive uh, intervention in the medical world, which is medication. But there, there definitely are some medical professionals that are looking to graduate to the medication and try everything in between before we get to the medication. There are times where you need to jump right to the medication to make an intervention because there's a problem. And I, I don't want to sound like I'm completely dismissive of medication, but there is so much you can do through diet and nutrition. One of the things I've been seeing people do for thyroid health too is actually getting uh, desiccated thyroid, freeze-dried thyroid thyroid ground up 
in, in pills and taking that. And it seems to be helping quite a few people. And in that case, you are actually getting the T3 and T4 in a, in a natural form in a small amount because it's desiccated into the, the thyroid itself. But do you know anything about doing these, these freeze-dried organ complexes or freeze-dried organs targeted to a specific uh, issue like thyroid? Yeah, that is, um, they call that NDT, natural desiccated thyroid. That is considered thyroid medication. You need a prescription for it. Um, you can't just go to like your local butcher and get, you know, a beef thyroid and do it yourself like you know put it in your dehydrator and i mean that that might be nice but that could also be very dangerous too i could see people really <laughs> messing themselves up if they do that but yeah it's um desiccated it's usually porcine it's usually pig thyroid so armor if anyone at least in the u.s if you've gone to the supermarket and you see armor bacon or armor sausage armor thyroid is Literally, it's from the same company. They When they dispatch those animals to make bacon and sausage and pork, they take the thyroid gland and they make armor thyroid medicine. And um, some people do really, really well with that natural desiccated thyroid. Some people need the synthetic stuff or just, I, I don't think there's any right and wrong with regard to thyroid medicine. I think there's just whatever works best for the individual. Um, but yeah, that's certainly armor is one of the, the most popular brands I think used in the U.S., yeah, I, I I know there's a there's a few companies I was looking at for like they have an or I've never seen one um, where it's a straight up thyroid available in its its form, but there are some companies that ha offer a organ complex where there's a little bit of thyroid mixed in with you know brain and and uh, liver and things like that. Mm -hmm. Especially for people who have a hard time eating organ meat, it could be a good way to go. It's a natural multivitamin mineral and and uh, supplements, but I was some I was just curious about that because I knew that that was something that some people were um, were trying. And yeah, um, I think you need, I mean, for something like that, you typically need a prescription. It's, it is, it's a, a medication. It's not really, it's, it's, I mean, it's yeah. not a supplement in the way that we think of it, even though it is just like the desiccated gland. I think, I, I think they sort of like standardize it for the purity and the, um, so they can basically, they, they know the dose of it. Otherwise it's just the gland and how much, how much hormone was in it at the time the gland was harvested and right. you know, to dose, it has to be. Yeah. It's, it's just an interesting, uh, it's an interesting avenue to take. And of course, most of the time with food, you're going to have less side effect when it comes to taking the medication where the doctors are trying to synthesize an effect in a lab compared to things. But with the thyroid, it's a bit of a different of a ball game because if you don't need that desiccated thyroid and you're getting too much of the hormone that's in there, then it can be an, an issue for your hormone, hormonal balance. And it seems like that that can be an issue with any time you're, you're consuming a hormonal gland in a dietary standard. Yeah, I actually, I, I don't have a whole lot of experience with that kind of stuff, like the organ complexes and the desiccated stuff. I don't, um, I just don't know that much about it, but I, I have some concerns even, you know, for my, myself personally and anyone that's on a hormone, you know, like, like we were saying, as, as much as we like to badmouth allopathic medicine in the keto world, you know, we, we love it when it helps us. I mean, I, I would be nowhere without this thyroid medicine. So I'm so glad it yeah. exists. It's, it's a very unnatural, and that's a loaded word, but it's an unnatural way to 
present hormone to your body because if your body is doing it, there's a lot of control mechanisms and feedback loops that are when everything's working properly designed to keep, you know, the, it, it, it keeps it in check. So nothing ever gets too high or too low. And it's kind of constantly responding to signals from everywhere, right? It's not like every, so when, for example, when I take my medication, I take the exact same dose at the same time every day, right? Or approximately. Right. If my body was doing that naturally, it, it wouldn't be pumping out the exact same amount every you know, every day at the same time, it, it's constantly adjusting based on what's going on. And you, you lose that adjustment when you're just taking it, whether it's a pill or a shot or whatever hormone, we could be talking about estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, thyroid, anything. You lose that regulation. You still have some regulation. I mean, if you're taking it in, then your body's still going to process it and adjust in certain ways. But, you know, like, let's say, you know, let's say, for example, I'm on 10 micrograms of something. What if that day my body in its own decision would only have made five? Maybe it only needed five that day, but I'm giving it 10 because that's the dose I'm on. Yeah. So it's, again, I, I wish I didn't need this medicine. I don't like that I have to take it, but it has definitely changed my life. Um, but that that's, that's the downside, I think, of taking hormones from the outside is that it's very different from how it would be done if your own body was just doing it. Well, we're seeing we're seeing a lot of women now who have been on birth control for a long time, where you're taking in a synthetic, often synthetic hormone. I do know there's natural forms, but you're taking in an endogenous hormone to alter how the body works. And we're seeing uh, a lot of side effects after years and years of taking these hormones, everything from fertility issues to certain types of cancers and um, also uh, hormones imbalances that affect mental health. Yeah, but it's um it's it's a double-edged sword because typically is very effective for preventing unwanted pregnancy, right? And if that yeah. you have to kind of weigh the the pros and cons of everything. And, and there are all those potential negatives, but you know, if you're not in a financial position or an emotional position where you can have a child, right. you know, you have to it's so it's it's rough until until they make a male birth control. You know, sure. I mean, yes, there are condoms and things, but you know, those are not always the most reliable. And it's, that's a tough, that's a tough one. You know, one, one of the things that fascinates me about birth control, and this, I don't think this is widely known. I've only read a little bit about it. When you take some of those hormones, of course it changes even some of your thoughts, the, the way you think. And just because it's, it's hormones, it really has a big effect that women who meet a man and fall in love, let's say, or, or meet a woman, fall in love, and they're on the pill, then they're married or they're in a re committed relationship and they want to have a child, they get off the pill. And then all of a sudden, they're not so in love with that person anymore, you know, because the hormones were doing something. And it's, I've, I've read a little bit about like relationship problems that come because of the, the person, their mind is just different when they're off of the, the hormones. And that's, I don't think that's super common, but it's its interesting to think about. When I used to work at the group homes, uh, I, I worked with kids as young as six years old on up to 18 years old. And one of the common reasons for prescription for birth control was actually to control acne. I saw in the group home, they started prescribing very young girls birth control who were getting acne. And I'm, I'm talking about eight, seven, eight, nine-year-old girls. And uh, I, I just kind of wonder that intervention, you know, is would that be the best thing considering all the side effects? I mean, granted, you know, acne is an issue, but we're often seeing that acne is a, is a stem from some sort of in, 
infection inside the body that creates an issue such as bacterial or yeast overgrowth in the intestines and things like that, as well as high sugar consumption. And of course, in the group home, you know, they're, it's a high carbohydrate diet because it is institutionalized food. And we know the institutionalized diets we see at the hospitals and things, group homes even worse. Um, but it, it's a, it's generally a high carb, low meat diet with a lot of processed food. Yeah. I was, I was going to say when, when you were going with the acne, you know, in, in girls that young, first of all, that's criminal in my opinion to give a girl that age birth control they also use birth control for women with pcos to regulate their cycle um except acne like like you were saying acne there's so many different potential causes but chronically high insulin and that, that blood sugar roller coaster is a major contributor to that and we see we we are seeing this in younger and younger girls. Girls younger and younger are starting to menstruate. You know, it used to be like 13, even 14 in some hunter-gatherer societies like like long ago. 14 or 15 was the age of onset of menstruation. Now, you know, it's 12, 13-ish, but it's getting younger and younger, nine years old, 10 yeah, years yeah. old. And we had, so, a, six, we had yeah. a couple six-year-olds in our group home who were pregnant. See, yeah. this is unreal to me. And it's, I don't know that we can blame it all on the diet, but it's, um, the, the insulin does absolutely play a major, major role there. And so instead of giving them birth control, same thing, same thing for PCOS, get rid of the chronic high insulin and how do we do that get rid of the carbs I mean, there's other other things too i'm not a keto zealot but that's the most effective way to do it they give birth control for a lot of things because they either don't know what else to do or heaven forbid you should tell a woman to stop eating bread and pasta you know right. just give her the pill instead like what are we doing here <laughs> Well, you know, there, there are cultures that do eat a high carbohydrate diet and they maintain health mm -hmm. and there, then there's us. So like when it comes to keto, I, I do keto cause it's what works for me, but I'm not out there telling everybody that you should be on keto. You, you got to do what's right for you. But one of the things I tell people all the time is, is once you've created damage to your body through a substance that you take in externally, like let's say it's heroin. Let's say it, you know, meth, and you've created enough damage to your body that you can't take that thing in, in anymore because it's just going to kill you. And we've kind of OD'd with the processing in the Western diet, the processing and the stripping down and the isolation of carbohydrates without nutrition, without the things that, that help buffer it through the digestive system to prevent the insulin spikes. We've created a lot of problems for us in the, in the Western world that stem from these isolated carbs that we don't see in equatorial regions where they're, they're having traditional bananas and papaya and things like that, and they're not experiencing the diabetes from the kava root or, or whatever they're eating. Yeah, I think it's not it's not carbohydrates per se, and that's something we uh, Dr. Westman and I wrote about in our in our new book. It's not you know carbohydrates aren't poison, but it's it's just like you said. If you if your health is already compromised, in order to uncompromise it, you might need a diet that is different than the diets somebody can follow who's healthy and wants to stay healthy. You know, and a lot of those those populations, they don't eat the quantities that we eat either. So even if they're eating starch, they're not like gorging on it all day. You know, they're right. not sitting behind desks all day and and just eating mindlessly. So I think it there's takes a lot, lot of work of for them to get those. It's not carbs per se are not the problem. It's it's the way that we the form in which we eat them 
them and a lot of other lifestyle issues. But yeah, once once you're already sick and, and your health is compromised, the intervention you need is it is different from the one that you you might follow to not get compromised in the first place. Yeah. We're we're on the track of hormones. And one of the things that we see often where uh, in our Western culture where women change their diet and they change what they're eating and they reduce the carbs is that women who previously could not get pregnant now are having miracle keto babies. So we're seeing that, you know, and, and along with the thyroid and insulin, because insulin is very much connected to the thyroid gland. Um, on how it's produced and how it's regulated uh, because of uh, the, I believe the, the thyroid is also the master control for cortisol through stress and, and things like that. And, and uh, we see that a lot of people eating a high carb diet have a high cortisol level for the inflammation that these, these stressors or these processed carbs do. And then also that the insulin regulation itself, when, when we're able to control the insulin and it gets to the right level, all of a sudden things inside the body start working correctly and, and fertility goes up. And sometimes it's like what they're going for and sometimes it's surprise. I think um, I I think it's a little the other direction when you when you have very high cortisol for whatever stressful life or you know what other reasons the cortisol will that that's what makes that reverse T3 the high cortisol is going to tell the it's going to tell the body hey I, I'm so stressed out life is crazy I need to slow down or I'm going to burn out so it will convert more of that T4 into that reverse T3 and sort of cool things off um, I think with, with the fertility is fascinating. You know, Dr. Westman did some of the earliest studies on women with PCOS, and it was a very, very small group. It was like five women or 10 women, and it was a ketogenic diet. And uh, they had, quote unquote, failed or been, been unsuccessful with previous attempts at IVF, at like literally, you know, fertility treatments. And they were just doing a ketogenic diet not for the purpose of conceiving, but for the purpose of weight loss. And two of the women during the study got pregnant. And because they didn't have birth control, they didn't think that was like an oops, that that was like a little surprise keto babies. And um, that is because insulin, and maybe we can link in the notes, I wrote a really like a ridiculously long blog post and that actually explains how insulin affects testosterone and estrogen and all of these other sex hormones. In women, it's really interesting, in women, elevated insulin raises testosterone. In men, elevated insulin lowers testosterone. It does the opposite. And so in women, this is why in PCOS, some of the symptoms come from the high testosterone. And it's like the, the oily skin, the acne, the facial hair, you take on more of the, um, the male sort of fat deposition pattern, like more of the apple shape, um, you you become more manly, for lack of a better phrase, because your your testosterone is sort of out of balance. You you have more of a, of a masculine hormonal profile. And in the men, it's the opposite. You start having more of the female or what they call the gynoid fat deposition, like the hips, the breast, there's a breast enlargement in men. And so when, when you bring the insulin down, the testosterone comes down, all of the other the estrogen and progesterone, that stuff. And, and it's, it's not even that, it's the luteinizing hormone and the follicle stimulating hormone. Those are the ones that control the menstrual cycle. That's why you can finally start ovulating again normally and having normal menstrual cycle. 
cycles and then you can conceive, you know, and that's like no guarantee. That's not like, oh, go keto and you'll get pregnant, but it happens a lot. And really keto is so effective for PCOS because, and I don't say this lightly, but you know how in, in the scientific literature, they're always using the phrase associated with this is associated with this thing in the piece, in some of the PCOS papers, they actually come right out and say causal chronically high insulin is the causal factor in PCOS. And you know, they don't use that word very often. So if they're using it, they have to be pretty certain. And so if chronically high insulin is causing PCOS, bring your insulin level down. And, and PCOS has really been on the rise in our culture for the past 20, 30 years now. Like it's, it, we're seeing more and more cases, in, including in younger and younger girls where, you know, exactly we didn't see the reasons we've been talking about. Yeah. So I, I mean, I've, I've seen the, I've seen PCOS, we've had kids in the group home that had PCOS at, as young as seven, eight years old, nine years old, severe abdominal pains. We even had a girl that had it so bad, they actually did a partial hysterectomy on her and she was, I think, 10. That's, that's and, insane. Well, you know, the, this is the sad part about our, our culture. The fact that for all the profess people that profess about how important children are, once they enter these systems, it's it's like forget about it. Like we don't want to deal with them. We don't want them in our backyard. We don't want to. It's very difficult to get communities to help. You often hear, "Why should they get something better than I should get?" You know, from mm -hmm. people. And so the the treatment of these children in the group homes uh, is. You know, it's not their choice to be there. They didn't choose their circumstances that they were they were uh, put into is the reason why we're there. And as a society, we're not really taken care of. So we're often seeing the kids there as like canaries in the coal mine because if if our diet, it's a standard Western diet, is bad, theirs is ten times worse. And so, like you often see the issues of our society that we're dealing with amplified in, yeah. in there. So it's it's yeah. it, it's an issue, and it's something that that my brother and I have, I have fought for for a long time. Now I do have a question from my uh, brother uh, and and his wife. They just had twins, and she's trying to she's exploring the use of a keto diet to get uh, lose some of that baby weight to to. Uh, because they're planning on getting married and she wants to fit into her wedding dress. And uh, she asked me if breastfeeding while keto was okay. So a um, couple, couple of things there. Um, just with the caveat, I'm not a doctor, but postpartum breastfeeding time is not the time for your number one priority to be fat loss. And, you know, you do you, if that's your number one goal in life right now is to be in a smaller body, that's fine, but nourish your babies like that. That should be priority number one. You know, you losing fat, great, but you want to make sure that you are feeding your babies well. So can you breastfeed on a ketogenic diet? Yes, many, many people do it and it's fine. However, um, do, you, do you know the guys from Keto Gains? Do you know Tyler and Louise? I, I don't know them personally. I've heard about them quite a bit, okay. though. I've, I've heard them on podcasts and things. I don't, I've never met them or talked to them, though. Okay. Well, they, um, they along with Rob Wolf, they have this a, a product that they developed that's an electrolyte supplement, and they have found that breastfeeding women seem to have a much, much better milk supply when they are getting a lot more sodium, like a lot more. And, and the magnesium and potassium, but the sodium, like way more than you think you need, apparently really, really helps the milk supply, especially when you're on a low carb diet. Um, so that's 
And then just to say, yes, many women breastfeed just fine on keto. There's been carnivore mommies who breastfeed. But if you feel like your milk supply is not adequate or something, don't be afraid to eat more carbs because there have been women who do lower carb diets who really feel like they do not produce enough milk or they themselves just don't feel well enough unless they eat a little bit more carb. And it, it doesn't have to be like 300 grams a day. It could be 80 or 100 grams from, you know, sweet potatoes, rice, just something starchy. Like it doesn't have to be garbage carbs. It could be, you know, still a whole food kind of starch. But I think, I, I wonder how many of those women that struggled would have been fine if they had taken way more salt. That's, um, maybe you can get those guys on someday, but they they've actually done some research into it, like, like legitimate, you know, documenting some people doing this. And it's, yeah, it's a, it's a question I wanted to bring up because I was asked it and I was like, well, as far as I'm, cause no, if they're humans, it should be all right. You know, no, uh, I do it, but again, but, uh, no, don't, I, I might, I was just going to say, don't, don't become so closed minded about low carbon keto that if you're not feeling well and your milk supply is not adequate, don't be afraid to just eat some carbs. You know, it's really in the keto world, we have really, in some cases, gone too far in demonizing certain foods. And so I think um, just don't, don't be afraid to experiment if you need to. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a big fan personally of food as medicine. And uh, for personal example, when I went keto was on the truck and I went from being a very restrictive fat diet for several years that wasn't working for me to being you know, keto. And I noticed that I didn't digest fat properly. I had some issues. So I incorporated foods like beets and, you know, as well as apple cider vinegar and things like that targeted to fit, fix my digestion. We know beets are very high in carb, but there's also a lot of health benefits when used in small amounts and, and, and to help you up. And uh, I, when I ate the beets, I started losing weight too. Hmm. And <laughs> But I didn't really just start. Did it work? I guess it did. That's great. Yeah, yeah, and and uh, I still incorporate beets every once in a while, and it's it's more of a, a medical thing. I try to get fermented beets when I can because then the carb, the the sugar intake is lower. But the, you know, I try not to be so dogmatic about the approach of things because you kind of have to eat with what's working. And what worked for you two weeks ago may not work for you today, and you you may need to do some some maintenance and things. So I try not to be dogmatic about my my own advice to other people on how they should should do or approach their diet. One of the things we talked about off air too, since we're in mommy land, um, you were talking about how important it is for moms to take better care of themselves physically and mentally because they often put so much focus on the family and on the children's that they neglect themselves in many ways. Yeah, this is, this is a... I'm not going to use the word problem. It's a phenomenon that um, moms just are hardwired to take care of everybody but themselves, you know, or if they ever do take care of themselves, it's last on the list. So maybe they get to it, maybe they don't. And not that how much more effective of a mom or a wife or a coworker or a friend are you when you are taking care of yourself? And when you do maybe prioritize your own needs a little bit. And I not, you know, it, it depends on your situation. It depends on your budget. You know, not everyone can afford help or even a babysitter once every two weeks, take a night off, um, get your, your partner. If you have one to, you know, keep an eye on the kids or something, and you're going to lock yourself in, in the bathroom. I, I actually don't like baths, but a lot of other women do. So if you want to do the candlelit bath thing, you can do that. 
if you if you're like me and you don't like baths, again, get the partner to watch everybody for a couple of hours. You just get in the car and drive. You don't even have to have a destination. Put the radio on and drive. I just think if you can carve out little bits of time for yourself. I mean, I know it's not always easy, especially if you're a single mom. I mean, you just have to do the best you can. Uh, but if if there's any way that you can get help, and don't be afraid to ask for help. You know, when I was a kid and there were chores to be done, my mother would say, "Are your fingers broken?" You know, we if if a child is able-bodied and capable of doing something, get them to do it. Can they load the dishwasher? I mean, that's that's a loaded chore. I mean, every you know, we women are very particular about how we want that. Like people have gotten divorced over this issue, I think, or you know, loading the dishwasher. But I just feel like some of the problems that I see in women in terms of health come because they have neglected themselves for so long. And you can you can either sort of not neglect yourself and not fall into the hole in the first place, or don't it don't let it get so bad that you are in the hole. Maybe catch it when it's here, when you're not actually down at the bottom. I recently had a client where I said, you know, on on a scale, because I'm listening to her story and she's telling me about her life and her diet and all that. And I said, on on a scale of one to 10, how, you know, how stressful do you think your life is? And she, she kind of paused and thought, and she said, I think it's a six. And I said, do you? Because I think it's an eight or a nine. Like I said, you know, after listening to what you're telling me, it's an eight or a nine. And I said, I think you think it's an eight or a nine, but you've become so accustomed to this. This is so normal to you that you just know this is, you know, it's about a six. Like, no, it's actually probably more like a 12, but you just, do you, do you know what I'm saying? Like women and, and men do this too. Like you have just become so accustomed to that level of demand on you and, and, stress and and every you know obligations never ending that it doesn't feel odd to you like or or you've you've learned to cope you've learned to just deal with it so it feels like a six but it's really not it's a nine we see this a lot in, in diet you know people feel bad but they're so accustomed to feeling bad but then they go on in an elimination diet like let's say a whole 30 and they start bringing certain foods back in and all of a sudden they feel horrible because now they can identify it. And they can identify that this food was actually making them feel bad the entire time. They were just used to it. Mm -hmm. um, or if you look at abuse, there, there's there's people who live in abusive situations who literally that's become their norm. You know, they would thrive without the abuse, but they just they're so used to it that it's, it's, it's part of their daily life that they're just living it. They don't know how to live without it. Yeah. And I, um, before I forget something that I, I wanted to say earlier with, with the women, I mean, and it is hard, but embrace the word no. The word no is a beautiful word. You don't have to say yes to everything. It's okay to not do the friend the favor. It's okay to not be the chauffeur every time. Um, you, you have to set boundaries and hold them up, respect them. Otherwise, you know, if you let people walk all over you, they will. And I have a friend who says no is a complete sentence. No. Oh, can you help me with it? No, I'd like to, but or no, I wish I could, but no, 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 period. That's a full sentence. No. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're just, you don't, you don't have to be a martyr. If you are the martyr, then you're the one who sacrifices yourself and you don't have to do that. Not, not every time I understand moms like, yeah, your kids do need to come first kind of all the time. I don't want to say most of the time, but that doesn't mean, even if they're the first priority, that doesn't mean you have to be last or not even on the list at all. 
you should still be somewhere, you know, in a good position on that list. Now, you used to be in the Air Force. I'm assuming you've taken some first responder courses as far as first aid and things like that. A couple. It was a long time ago, but yeah. <laughs> well, you know, in first responder courses, they tell you survey the scene. That's the first thing you do. Survey the scene. And why do you do that? Because you're making sure it's safe to go in and help. Because if you get injured in the process, now you have two people. So in a way, you need to survey the scene in your your own life, you know, and, and understand that if there's there's conditions in your life that are making it ineffective for you to provide help. And that could be psychological factors. Are you getting too stressed out? Are you getting too, because, uh, you know, if you're stressed out and the kid, kids can be annoying in the first place, you know, love them. They're beautiful. They're God's little angels, but they can get on your nerve, you know, and, and uh, especially with your, with them. if you're already stressed out, if they get to the point where they're doing something annoying, how are you going to respond to that? Are you going to respond to that in an effective way because you're mentally healthy, you've taken care of yourself, or are you going to explode yeah. and make the situation work? Yeah, there, and there's that, that, I mean, that's a great analogy, the surveying the scene and everything. And there's also the one that was e e totally cliche, but the put, put your mask on first. When the plane is going down, you can't, you can't save anyone else if you're already dead. So you better put that oxygen mask on first and then you help everybody else. Right. And it, that's something that givers in general have a hard time doing. And a lot of moms with the, the type of, of work that they do with raising the children, they're givers and they're, they're not thinking of themselves. And they um, it, it can create it can create a lot of stress and, and, and make it harder for them to do that job. One of the things that I had a, a, a therapist on named Toby Jenkins. And one of the things that he often said too, is when you identify yourself with your job, you know, whether it be military or parent or this, once things in your job change, you have a hard time coping with it. And, and it seems to be for, for women, that's especially true with being a mom. They've put their entire existence around being a mom and taking care of this child and not taking care of themselves, even when it comes time where it's time for them not to be a mom. And I'm talking about the kids leaving home, but I'm talking about like trying to take that one hour break and go and enjoy yourself. It's not mom time. Shut the mom off for a moment. They, they can't do it, you know? Yeah, I've seen it. I've, yeah, I feel that because I'm not a mom. I don't have children. And so it's, I, I literally, literally can only imagine, I can only imagine what it's like to have that kind of, you know, obligation. I, Cause I don't know what it's like. I'm just an aunt and the aunt at the end of the day, when the kids are, see ya, bye, see you next time. Mm -hmm. You know, I get to, I get to shut the door and go home, but, um, make sure I just, they have a bunch of battery operated obnoxious toys to go home with the parents and make sure the batteries are in there. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, it's, I know it's hard, but you know, you don't want to get into a position where you resent your kids or your partner if you have one, you know, and it's, and the way to, to not get to that point is to balance it as best you can. I don't say balance it. I say balance it as best you can, because you can't balance it. I mean, let's get real. You know, there, there are going to be demands and you are going to have to make a lot of sacrifices, but don't sacrifice to the point that you are making yourself sick physically and mentally sick. Like this could be a whole separate show, but our society in general is not set up for families and for support for, for working families with children, because it used to be back in the day, you know, 
you would have children and there were the mommies and the aunties and the grannies and the village. The, it takes a village, right? It would be the whole, everybody's looking after everybody's kids. Everybody knows everybody, you know, and now there's no support. There's none of that intergenerational support. And it's, you know, I don't think we're designed for where one person, let, let, let's say just I'm totally stereotyping now, but let's say the mom is home with the kids all day and she doesn't have any adult conversation all day. She's with the kids all day, every day, you know, and, 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 you know, women joke, but it's not really a joke. You can't ever be on the toilet by yourself. The door's open and the kid is looking at you and talking to you, you know, and it's not supposed to be that way. That's not like the healthy human way, but it's the way that our society has become, you know, it's, it's so it's not your fault if you're out there and you're like at your wits end and you're ready to pull your hair out. It's not you. It's not your fault. The whole system is set up to not support people that have, you know, people that have young kids and that, that are especially that are working. I definitely see that's very true in our Western culture, especially here in the U.S. I've, I've had the, the good fortune to be able to travel a bit around the world, and I've seen more traditional cultures that are still very family-oriented, where it's it's not just the families, but the neighbors are looking out for the kids. You know, the, the whole community is looking out. If, if one of the family members needs a one of the people in the neighborhood needs a break for a moment, then you got four other aunties and uncles correcting that kid when it needs to be corrected, you know, and, uh, and looking out for them and, and things like that, which is something that we, we very much lost. I, I think, especially since the eighties, uh, moving on up from the eighties. Cause when I was growing up, if you were getting in trouble, you know, you, you might've gotten a backhand from mom and dad, but one of the neighbors caught you first. You might've got a backhand from them on your way home, you know, and I'm saying that's the best way to go, but that's, that's how it was. And I grew up in the country. So it, it, uh, it's, it's how it, how, um, the community was, and they were constantly looking out for one another. And there was the, there was the mom hotline of Timmy's over there playing on the railroad tracks again. Should I go get him? You know, that type of thing, you know, and we've really lost that. We've, we've become through our fear because we're watching the news all the time. And we think the boogeyman is around every corner. Uh, Cause that's what the, the news makes us feel. We, we've become very afraid to allow our children out to play and we've become very defensive. If anybody tries to have, input, whereas in more tribalistic society, for lack of a better term, but more community-based society, everybody understood who was an adult, that they had a responsibility, not for just their children, but the children in the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And that that the, the safety of all the children was the top priority, not just your own. Yeah, it's it's a very different world. And I I don't know how I would navigate it if I had kids, you know, because it is dangerous. I think it is a very dangerous world. But, you know, when, when I was a kid, you were you were sent out the door and, you know, don't don't come home until it's dark out. Like, I better not see you. Or, I mean, it wasn't Street like lights. that much. Yeah, or they would just, you know, we we lived within walking distance of, of an elementary school that had a really, really big playground. And I, I mean, I, I didn't usually go by myself. I would go with two or three girls that lived on the block. All right, we're going to go to the playground. And we'd be gone for four hours. There were no cell phones at this time. Nobody heard from us for four or five hours at a time, you know? And I, I'm sure if there were cell phones, you know, we probably, our parents would have wanted us to have them, but it is difficult. It's a, it's a, it's a difficult world. I, yeah, I 
I grew up in Ohio, and and our timing to go home was when the streetlights came on. Right. And right. we had like my mom was a property manager. We had a uh, like playground that was on the other end of the property. Uh, the woods were right there nearby us as well, so we had woods to play in. We did all that stuff. But when those streetlights came on, you see, no matter how far away you were from home, everybody took off running because they mm -hmm. knew that if they didn't get home on time, you know. And the the kids were were taught that. But it was like you said, like we were. We were we were free range children. We got to go out and do the grays and exploring and learn things and catch frogs and turtles and snakes had, and things. We like had some some women on our street who you know like when it started to get dark, you could just hear them three blocks away, Nikki. You know, just mm -hmm. they knew like they're they're within screaming distance. He'll come and and you knew you knew other moms' voices like oh that's Mrs. So and so or you know just. Oh yeah. It was it was a different time. It's almost like we're talking about some kind of Norman Rockwell painting in, in a world that doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. But I remember I, I, I remember I was getting into some sort of trouble. I was doing something I wasn't supposed to be doing, me and a group of friends. And I remember both my buddy and I getting struck in the back of the head almost simultaneously with flip-flop from across the <laughs> and it wasn't from our mom. It was it was from one of the neighborhood's moms that wasn't even like either one of our moms, but she caught us doing it. She chucked a couple of flip-flops out and caught us, and we were like, oh. <laughs> right. You know, it was that kind of thing. It's so It's very different now, but I, I feel like I'm out of my league here. I don't know if you want to get back to keto real quick and say yeah. something about the women, because we, we were talking about, you know, yeah. is different for women. I just feel like I... I can comment on kids and all that, but it's, I, I, whatever strategy I think might work, it always sounds good on paper. And then when you've got the busy life and there's three kids and the TV's on and everything, it's, it's hard. I, I think, I think sometimes, you know, women, if you're out there listening, sometimes you just have to survive to the end of the day. And if you do that, God bless. Like, cause some, I just think sometimes if you, if you don't, do your gratitude journal and your meditation and your this and that. Like if you just survived, congratulations. One of the hardest jobs on the planet is to be a parent. Yeah. It's, you know, the it's one of the most, in many ways can be some of the, one of the most ungrateful jobs. Um, and it's one of the most challenging jobs and there's so much at stake. Yeah. And uh, the, when we talk about parents taking care of themselves it's, it's, I think that's part of the issues that we see a lot of problems with. And I wanted to suggest, too, for a psychological thing to making connections, because I know especially right now with COVID, um, well, let's, it might get flagged if we say that word. So the virus that shall not be named, we're seeing a lot of issues where, where people are isolating more and people are having having issues in, and they're lacking that connection right now, especially because they can't go out. So they're home with the kids and all that. So I know we had talked about the problems of social media before, but this is the benefit of social media where there's all these fantastic groups that you can be a part of, whether you're, you know, on FaceSpace or whatever you do, Facebook or whatever. Um, you can be a part of these groups and make connections and have a little quick adult conversation as long as you don't let it in, take up your entire life. But if you allot yourself a certain amount of time to blow off steam, to be like, yeah, you know, that type of thing, that could be, uh, or, or even have like a, a video phone call with somebody, you know, that could be a great way to blow off steam, have some adult connection. And even if that means, you know, you lock yourself in a room to talk to so-and-so on a group chat, you know, that, that could be the thing right I now. That, that's a really good point. And I think that's, 
that is a very good tool, especially now. And, but it is a tool and it's like, if it starts to get annoying, turn it off. Like you don't, we, we feel pressure with social media. Like you, you don't have to respond to every comment. Like it's okay to ignore stuff. You know, you don't, you don't, it's okay to scroll on by and don't, don't let it get to you. You know? So it's, it's just like parenting, right? It can be, it's, it's very, very rewarding, but it's very, very demanding and difficult. Social media has so many wonderful, positive things about it. I mean, I, I really wouldn't have a career without it. I mean, so I, I built my reputation almost entirely on Twitter as weird as it, and, and my blog, but I mean, I, I've connected with so many other professionals on Twitter, but there's a very, very ugly downside to it all too. So, you know, use it, you, in the words of people way smarter than me, you know, use that tool. Don't let it use you. Yeah. One of the things for, for moms is, is they often end up eating the diets of the children and that can be an issue. Um, and we've seen the things that are geared toward kids with the happy meals and things like that. If it's a kid's menu, it's usually the worst things you can put in your body. Um, and one of the things that I often make suggestions on with, because it worked for me when I was taking care of kids at the group home, when I was trying to teach them how to eat better and things like that, because we had kids that had grown up on some of the worst food you ever see, and that's all they wanted. But to make it a family time to cook, to make these recipes and, and get the kids involved. And when the kids are invested in it, they might try things more. They might eat things more. And you can teach nutrition and take care of yourself at the same time by bringing the kids in. This is my experience from working at the group home because I was kind of a surrogate parent there. What are some of the things that a parent can do to help keep them healthy, but also at the same time spend kids time with the kid? That's a good question. I mean, the cooking, cooking as a family is great. And I, I support that except like be, again, being realistic with how, how this, this can be in the home, a meal that could take 15 minutes to cook is going to take an hour and a half with the kids involved. So right. it's, you know, it's kind of a balancing act. Maybe do that once a week, have them do dinner or something like don't, you know, not all the time, but it depends. It depends on the individual situation. I think doing any kind of like go for a walk as a family. I mean, right now, maybe you need to wear masks or something, depending on your on, on where you're going or what the weather is like, where you are. Any just family activities you could, I mean, I'm, I'm an old fashioned person, but even when I get together with friends or when I used to, we still play board games. You know, it doesn't always have to be the phone. It doesn't always have to be screens. You could be sitting around a, a card game, go fish. You know, who remembers that game? Sit around a table, look at each other's faces, talk to each other. Like, God forbid we should do that. Um, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't always have to be about physical health. Like it doesn't have to be exercising together or preparing food. It could just be sort of family time. There's a lady, she has a YouTube channel, I can't remember her name, but she would uh, do workout routines with her kids. And what I mean with her kids, she was like squatting with her baby. Like doing like There's that, yeah. And the kids having a great time just getting tossed up in the air, like, you know, right. the whole bit. But she's getting a workout and she's doing it. So, um, you know, there's things that you can do to take care of yourself, but still, you know, work with the kids. We've been on for a bit. And uh, I, I am going to definitely leave the door open for you to come back anytime you want. Uh, if you ever have something that you want to put in or talk about or, or something like that, you know, the door's always open for you. Thank you. So, um, and the same thing, if you ever want to put something into the, you know, we have a 
Facebook group, the Fatty Joe Show, where I, I've shared some of your stuff in there before as as well, and I'll continue to share. Um, but it's it's a we just started it recently, so it's a growing group. But if you you you're always invited to come on over and, and throw some things in there if you want to and talk about what you're doing. But I I really appreciated the the conversation, and I think we covered we covered some topics that aren't talked about as much. I mean, people do talk about Hashimoto's uh, a bit more recently and thyroid issues, but it, it doesn't seem like it, it, it's few and far between. And uh, it's well, not I just, covered I think enough. That people need to understand the nuances of the testing. And just, just real quick, I'll say when, when we were talking about the normal ranges, if you, if you suspect you have an issue, don't ask for a thyroid test. Ask for a comprehensive thyroid panel. Because if you ask for a thyroid test, many doctors will only test one or two things. They'll test your TSH, possibly your T4. That is very often not enough. You have to get a comprehensive panel. And if they won't do it, depending on what state you live in, you can do it online yourself. You can order your own lab test. You don't need a doctor. That is not available in New York, New Jersey, and Rhode Island. Every other state, you can do it yourself if you need to. Comprehensive thyroid panel. So I like to close out with the five questions, and I already asked you the five questions from the previous episode. So uh, I'm going to come up with different answers. Yeah. So uh, what are five top things that you would do for your own self-care? So this is do as I say, not as I do, because I have some very bad habits that I am trying to correct, but I'm not trying very hard. <laughs> um, I need to get more sleep. I stay up way too late. And it's not, I'm not staying up doing anything important. I'm not being productive, creating more books. I'm like watching dumb stuff on Netflix that I don't need to watch. And I'm scrolling through stupid Twitter. So I get more sleep. I would, again, this is not even, it doesn't all have to be keto related, right? I don't spend, I, I've been indoors a lot. And even with, with, with what's going on, I still, you can still spend time outside. If you have a yard or even just a front stoop, you can sit outside and get some fresh air and daylight, even if it's not sunny where you are. I think just getting natural light in your eyes is really helpful. So breathing fresh air. Um, what else was it? What five things that I would do okay. for- for self-care. For self-care. So we got- it's, It depends on what you like. For me, yeah. I love to cook. So cooking is very relaxing for me. It's a very, very joyful, pleasurable thing. So do things that bring you joy and pleasure, whatever that is. Um, if it's something that you're able to do in our current circumstances, that's three, four, self-care. It depends. I don't know. Now I have to come up with two more things. For for you though, like we want to like this is for Amy Burke. Oh, like, what me, would you do? Personally, I need to read more. I love reading fiction, like novels, and I haven't read a good novel in ages. I'm reading scientific papers. I'm reading other stuff. I I love to read regular books. I need to do that. I also need to lift, and that like lifting weights. That might not sound like self care, but for what it does for me physically and mentally, I think I. To me, that is self-care and knowing that I, I feel better when I'm doing it on a regular basis. I just feel better knowing I'm doing it. So that that would be mine personally. And, you know, ex different types of exercises can be really beneficial for me. Like I getting out and chopping wood is is very like not only are we getting physical exercise, but I get to hit something with an axe, you know, so I could see that um, being stress relief. Oh, yeah, it's great. It's kind of like hitting a heavy bag when I was when I was, used to do that a lot. Mm -hmm. So um, let's see here. What are do you think are the top three issues right now that are are need to be addressed in women's health? Ooh, probably 
the inadequate protein intake. And it's not that anyone's starving for protein, but most women are just not eating enough protein to feel their best. Um, and I, I don't know if this would be something separate or not, but I would say red meat. I, not everyone wants to eat red meat, but if you are a red meat consumer, eat more of it, those nutrients. Other than that, I will say improper treatment or an improper testing for thyroid, because I see it all the time. So many women, oh, you're normal, your thyroid's fine, and they are not normal in any stretch of the imagination. So that's two, um, or maybe that's three if I say the red meat. Um, oh, no, 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 no. Let's say the pro protein slash red meat thyroid, and then just outside of the keto world, fill the fear of fat, especially saturated fat and animal fat. Still the whole, you know, oh, I'll, I'll have my little granola bar and my skim milk. I mean, that's still a thing. I feel like I don't see it much because I'm in the keto bubble, but I, that's in the larger world. That's still a major issue of women just living on low satiety, highly processed sugar and, and refined grains. Who are three uh, female health heroes for you? That's interesting because the male ones come to mind immediately. Right. Female ones. Now it's harder. <laughs> ooh, ooh, ooh. My number one is a lady named Diane Sanfilippo. She is very well known in the paleo world, but she, she wrote a keto book, but she's much more well known for paleo. However, lately she's moving away from diet and nutrition altogether. And she now does meals. She, she has like a meal delivery service. She ha created a spice line. She's kind of more of an entrepreneur at this point. And, um, her whole philosophy is just dynamite. She, if I had a fraction of her moxie, of her spirit, I'd be dangerous, of her work ethic. Um, you know, she's just had such an incredible transformation of her professional life. You know, she started out like, like a paleo nutrition coach and her whole business is very different now, but I just think her, her whole philosophy toward everything I love. And then second, it's hard to identify a single person. I'll, I'll say um, there's, there's somebody named Laura Schoenfeld, who also is a nutritionist. And um, she, I don't know that she works with any clients anymore, but she does business coaching, entrepreneurial coaching for other nutritionists because she is so successful and she saw this gaping hole in the market like, oh, there's other nutritionists who are not charging anywhere near what they're worth. They're not getting the clients they want because they don't know how to, you know, market to their specific niche. They don't know. And so I, I just did some training with her. She's she's really fabulous. And she's very, um, her style is very different, but I just think she's doing a lot of good in sort of helping other nutritionists see our worth and see that, you know, we provide a really, really important service. And um, the third one, I'm going to not name a specific person, but I will, well, there, there's two. There, there's two people and it, it's a general category of, and people might think this is odd after a whole podcast about ketogenic diets and nutrition and all that, anti-diet dietitians and dietitians sort of in the health at every size space and the anti-diet culture and two practitioners that come to mind, I don't, they're not RDs, but Summer Inanen, I-N-N-A-N-E-N -N -E -N, and Isabel Fox and Duke. And these are women who spent their lives dieting and counting calories and restricting and exercising and binging and going back and forth and back and forth and, and basically imprisoning themselves in, in a box of their own creation of diet toxicity, right? And they have freed themselves of it and they now help other women free themselves of all that toxicity. So um, that, there's a role for that because we see this in keto too, people taking things too far and the anxiety level 
that people do. I'm not fasting. And what about autophagy? You know, but I had two grams of canola oil. You know, I had, I had, I had a quarter of a fraction of a teaspoon of, of canola oil and I had this and oh my God. And that is doing more damage than just eating the cupcake, enjoying the hell out of it and moving on with your life. Do you know what I mean? That like, and so we need, we need, there is a point at which fixation on health becomes unhealthy. And so we need, we need those other people in the space to balance this out and say, you know what, it's okay to let that crap go. It's okay. Like if, if, if your sole purpose in life, you know, if, if fitting into a size four dress is not the main purpose of your existence, that's okay. It's okay. If maybe you want to do something with your life other than fit into, you know, a size 32 jeans or whatever men's size is. I don't know. You know, we may have already answered this question, but I, I always ask about a health myth. And what is what is a health myth about women's health that you wish you could get rid of overnight? Probably the whole the whole sort of notion trying to force yourself to limit the amount of food you're eating when you are genuinely hungry. Do you know what I mean? And this kind of goes hand in hand with the protein and the red meat and the fatty meat. Like we just culturally have been so conditioned to not eat, to not eat food. That has done us a real disservice. We, we, think, we think there's something wrong with us if we're not satisfied with that little, that little piece of skinless chicken and the factory dressing and five leaves of lettuce. This is a disaster. So I think, I think just making women afraid to eat a substantial plate of food you know, I'm not, I'm not in love with the carnivore movement, but one thing I do like to see and one thing that I think is helpful for other women to see is a woman who's this big and she's gorgeous and her skin is radiant and her hair is lustrous and she looks like dynamite and she's eating a 14 ounce ribeye steak. Do you know what I mean? Like that's, yeah. women need to see that. That's awesome. And uh, men love to see that too. I'll just say that. Like, yeah. That's hot, isn't it? What man yeah, wouldn't love great. that? Yeah. What is something, and, and I'm, I know this is a minefield because there are so many issues in the medical industry when it comes to women in particular, and I know this because a lot of the research that is based on, on medical treatment is based on research on men, that they go, well, women are just tiny men, so it should apply. So what is something in the medical field, the way that they treat women that you wish you could just change overnight? Ooh, I'll, I'll think about that in a second, but the one thing I want to address too is when we say that most of the research is done in men, or at least when some of these sort of norms were established, it was done in men, not just men, white men, yeah. Caucasian men. And right. there are um, certain, la certain things about blood values that are different slightly the ranges are slightly different in asian people in african-american people in people from other parts of the world so those that's that's kind of a, a problem in modern medicine too it's based on like white white men anyway um what is a gaping hole i don't i don't i don't want to stereotype but i do think there is still this lingering aspect of when a woman goes into a medical office especially if it's a male physician. And I, I, I recognize I'm stereotyping here. And she's complaining of being fatigued and tired and depressed. Oh, honey, it's all in your head. You need to rest more. You know, you're just tired because of the kids. Whereas if a man came in and said these things, he would be taken seriously. 
there would be blood tests involved. They would be willing to try some of this medicine. Whereas I think women, oh, you just run along little old thing. You know, I really think, I think there's still a lot of that going on that, that women are not quite taken as seriously. And it seems to stem from, you know, the hysterical where they said that, you know, the women were, were just hysterical. It has to do with their, with, with their uh, uterus, with, you know, where the word came from. So if they're having these problems, just take their uterus. Yeah. You know, that's so, and, and I've also seen this when it comes to people of color too, uh, again, back yes. in the group home, I had more than one child that had sickle cell anemia. They were often not taken seriously when we went to the hospital, when they were having a flare up. And we had doctors that would just say, well, they're just drug seeking. They're just this, they're just that, and refuse to treat them. And I mean, the kid like feels like their entire body is on fire and being ripped to shreds at the same time. Yeah. And yes. there was doctors that actually didn't even believe that it was a thing. There's a lot of, there's a lot of bias in healthcare, a lot of bias. And it's. Yeah. And, and it's something that we have to work on. If we're going to be more inclusive, if also if we want a better healthcare system, we need to understand all the variables. Yeah. that can exist, you know, and that includes ethnic and, and sexual variables. And, and the more we understand it, the better tools we will develop for treatment. Yeah, I read I read a really um, sort of heartwarming, but also infuriating story from a, I don't remember if it was a medical student or a resident or something, like a, a sort of lower seniority medical person that was in a room when a, a more senior doctor was talking to, it was, I think it was a, a black person of like low, you know, low socioeconomic status kind of person. And the doctor was using all these big words to talk to this person. And the person must have looked like a deer in the headlight. And this, this resident is looking at like, I don't think this person is understanding a word this doctor is saying, right? So later in the day, this resident or student, whoever it was, goes back to visit this patient and said, did, did you understand anything? Like, do you, do you know what we're asking you to do? Do you understand what your treatment's going to be when you go home? And this person was like, no. And so this student explained it in plain English, talked to him like on the level, and then it was all good. And it was like, and I think if I recall correctly, it was the student was also black. And it was like, he's looking like this, this ain't, this is not working here, you know? And sometimes that, that they call it cultural competency, right? That cultural competency sometimes is a lot. And you can't teach, you can't teach that in a textbook. You can teach about how the heart pumps. You can teach about the retina. You can teach about whatever. You can't teach empathy. You can't teach compassion. You can't teach that cultural sensitivity. You have to just learn that or be born with it or it develops over time and experience, right? But that's, if, if you don't have that, you know, and it's not like that doctor was an idiot or the doctor didn't mean to treat that person poorly, but that doctor had no idea that that patient is, they're going to go home and have no idea what to do. There's also the ego of academia, you know, and it happens quite a bit in a lot of fields of, of this superiority complex that they, that certain people of certain types of academic fields have over the lay person. And it, it, that ego can be presented in many ways as either apathy or, or even um, contention toward the person that they're, they're, they're 
trying to treat and mm -hmm. it should work because it worked in my textbook and you're just you know and it goes it goes like that with people the dietary advice i told you to eat low fat i told you to eat to you know the, to eliminate the meat and stuff and you're still gaining weight so you must be doing something wrong it's not my advice is telling you what's doing something wrong. you're doing something wrong and i'm gonna guilt you into doing it right exactly yeah yeah you know it's it's along those same lines and it is something that uh is a real problem and it, it's amplified based on socioeconomics based on sexuality and based on race and, mm -hmm. and um it's something that we as a society again if we want a better society these are things that we need to improve you know, not saying everything is bad or, you know, that's not what we're trying to say, but every society has things that they need to work on and improve. And this is one thing that we have to work on. And we're going to go ahead and close out. And I'm just to let you know, probably going to break this into two episodes because we went for a while. Yeah, I, I, uh, <laughs> I was, I, you know, I always enjoy talking to, to one people I learn from and you're definitely one. And it's, if the journey is really good, I've just kind of lately, I've, I've been kind of letting the conversation go you know i'll just i'll break it up in editing and make it into two conversations it be if the information i i believe is going to be real valuable to to help people out i'll later record a couple of new intros and outros and stuff for it but i do want you to tell people where to find amy Berger and all the contact details and things like that and also i want to remind everybody that i will list everything in the show notes so you can go down there make it easy for yourself and click on where what you need to find so um, I'm active, my, my most active social media is Twitter. My handle is Tuit Nutrition, T-U-I-T Nutrition. That is also the name of my YouTube channel. And my same, same with the website, www.tuitnutrition. And the book with Dr. Westman is End Your Carb Confusion. You can get that on Amazon. And um, I have two other books. So if you just look for Amy Berger, or if you, if you look at End Your Carb Confusion, the other two books should appear somewhere. So um, that's me. And I will, I will list all your books down below in the show notes too, to make it easier for people to find as well. So if you guys want to check out these books there, you know, I've read a couple of Amy's previous books and they um they explain very complex issues in very simple language so you don't have to have a medical degree to understand what you're reading like you do unfortunately with some of the other people's books not that it's bad information but you know if you don't have a basis you know Gary Tobb's books are fantastic but you know, you may need to have a, you know, a dictionary next to you to understand kind of what's going on a, a bit. So th these books are fantastic. And they, these are also, if you're looking to get into a healthy lifestyle, you're looking to start your journey, fantastic resources to get you going. Because I don't advise to anybody to start on a drastic change in their life, such as diet, without doing research so that you understand what's going on. And these are fantastic resources for you to do that on your own. That way you're not having somebody telling you something that should work because it worked for them. Because in Amy's book, she, she does list, you know, tell you that this is, you know, what they've seen for the data, but there's also, you know, these people that were affected by other things as well. So that's, that's one thing that I love about your books compared to a lot of other people's books, which are very much dogmatic in, in the way they approach things. Mm -hmm. So I really appreciate that. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so I want you to check those out. They, again, they will be listed below. Amy's links will be listed below and I will link to the books. I want to close out with at a 
a thank you to our Rockstar Patreon supporters. If you want to support the show, help keep us going, help keep us ad-free so that we're not required to cultivate content based on what advertisers want. I want to thank Sh Shannon Baker, Ada Crum, and Leanne Barnes for being rock stars. And you can go to patreon.com slash the Fatty Joe Show or patreon.com slash Carrie Brown. And you can, can become a Patreon supporter, help keep the lights on, help us improve the show as we go. You can also go check out all the programs that we're running at carriebrown.com. There's several great master classes going on, including how to make some of the best keto ice cream there, there is. Um, some of my favorites are like the eggnog ice cream, and uh, I am a big fan of the cherry chocolate chunk. And I actually have had the privilege of trying some of the ice creams that are not a part of the books yet because I'm here at Carrie's. And there's also, if you take the ice cream course, you could actually get into the ice cream of the month club and get brand new recipes sent to you um, each month as Carrie develops them as she's developing new recipes. And we have, I believe this month coming out was the O McHenry, which is an ice cream similar to the uh, O Henry bar. All right, everybody, I want to be kind to one another. Enjoy your day and have a wonderful time. Hey, everybody. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Fatty Joe Show featuring return guest Amy Berger. Amy came back on to discuss a lot of women's health topics because this is Women's Health Month. Be sure to check out next week's episode as Amy and I continue our conversation about a variety of topics that do affect women's health motherhood, and several other issues. Also, if you want to be a supporter of the show, we greatly appreciate your help. It takes a lot of resources, time, energy, and funds to produce a podcast. And we'd really like to improve the show by being able to hire editors, which wouldn't only improve the sound quality of the show, but it would also give Carrie and I more of an opportunity to produce more content, offer more services, as well as create more recipes to help people eat a delicious and healthy lifestyle. So if you could, go to patreon.com slash Show or patreon.com slash Brown to be a supporter of the show, as well as all the efforts that Carrie and I do to produce content to help people stay on a healthy lifestyle. All right, thank you very much, and... Be sure to tune in to next week's episode. Thank you for joining us on the Fatty Joe Show. Be sure to leave a comment and subscribe. It helps the show reach more people. To support the show, as well as Carrie Brown and Yogi's work on the blog, Keto Recipe Development, Masterclasses, and to gain access to private Facebook groups and other awards, go to patreon.com slash Show or patreon.com slash Carrie Brown. Also, check out our Carrie Brown and Yogi Parker YouTube channel for video versions of the Fatty Joe Show, recipe videos, and more. Join our awesome community on the Facebook group, The Keto Kitchen with Carrie Brown and Yogi Parker, and check out our CarrieBrown.com website for recipes, blog posts, discounts, cookbooks, masterclasses, and other great stuff. Thank you so much.